Welcome to the U.S.-China Salon. In this episode, we will analyze China's educational system, the recent reforms of the industry, and its correlation with an aging population, and how these factors will affect China's changing economy. Today, we are thrilled to have with us Professor Scott Roselle, an esteemed economist and co-director of the Stanford Center on China's Economy and Institutions. He has dedicated his career to studying institutional development and economic issues in China. Welcome, Professor Roselle. Now, our first topic is educational reforms in China. Before we officially begin, are there any major points you'd like to address regarding this topic or insights that you have? I think, you know, if you've read the book I produced a couple year couple years ago called Invisible China, um, you know, one of the I think it's one of the biggest problem China has as they try to go from middle income to high income, and um, it, the basic problem is that labor force just is not you know very well. Uh, uh, educated, and it's mainly the rural labor force, um, and uh, uh, that you know, I think that, um, and it's not, and as you're going to see as we talk, this isn't because China doesn't care. I think they really want to educate their labor force. I think they know there's a problem, and they've actually put a lot of effort into it um, over the past, you know, twenty years. Um, and, you know, I think that there's more to do. And, and so that's sort of where I come out at. And um, I think that there's some more fundamental things that they should be doing. And uh, we can talk about that later, too. Last year, China embarked on a significant and multifaceted Chinese educational reform aimed at bolstering the quality of education, fostering educational equality, nurturing innovation, and aligning education with the country's economic and social development. This reform represents a continuous effort by the Chinese government to address various areas and complexities within the educational system. The reform encompasses several key aspects and measures, including enhancing the quality of education, bridging the gap in educational opportunities between different regions, prioritizing vocational education and skill training, fostering innovative teaching methods, and reforming higher education institutions. So now looking ahead, we wonder which aspects of the reform you consider most pivotal for Chinese education in the future. You know, how do you envision the reform direction unfolding over the next ten to twenty years, and what are some of the driving forces behind the government's strategic choices? So, like, like I just said,、um, you know, that I think the Chinese government realizes that,、um, you know, that their education has some uh, uh, weaknesses. It's Almost totally in the rural sector.、Uh, I mean, I think uh, uh, the the sort of urban income. In, I mean, urban education in China is clearly、uh, you know one of the top in the world, <laughs>、uh, and you know I think that、uh, you know that's why they're interested in bridging the gap between the different sectors, as you just said, and. Um, and so, you know, I think that you know, focusing on rural education is very, very important. They've put resources into it in the future.、Um, I think that they're making one fundamental mistake in trying to、uh, foster this、uh, vocational education system at the high school level,、um, and it's not a mistake. <laughs> If they rolled out a system that was like that, they're trying to mimic, which is Germany's vocational education system. They say,、uh, you know, the United States, we we basically have an academic high school system. Everybody goes to academic high school,、um, and you know, and you know, therefore, 
you know, and therefore everybody gets taught math and science and computers and language. Not everybody learns real well, but but that's what we're trying to get them to do. Um, China basically said, uh, we're going to do the German system and we're going to roll out 50% of our kids are in academic high school and 50% are in vocational high school. The, the problems with, you know, their education, their vocational education system is that um, they think 80 or 90% of it is teaching these kids a job that they can do to, to, to sort of be a training platform for them to jump into their job when they get out of high school. The problem is, is when China moves to a high income country, especially as we go into the 2020s and 2030s and 2040s, things change so fast is you, the skills you teach a person today aren't going to be useful five, 10, 15 years from now. What you need to do is teach these kids to have the ability to learn how to learn. And so if you go, and I, I always tell the Chinese, I, Chinese people in education, go to Germany and see what their vocational high school system looks like. <laughs> Guess what it is? It's math and science and computers and language. Oh yeah. And at the end of the day, they do a little bit of, you know, in the shop training, but it's math and science and computer. Because if you want to be a mechanic today, you need to know computers and science and math <laughs> and language to, to, to be a, to be a, a car mechanic. And that's what the, the Chinese vocational education system isn't doing. Uh, and I think I'm perfectly fine with them rolling out a vocational ed program, but it needs to be focused on these basic skills because for anyone who wants to get a job, let's hope China moves into a high income economy. If they get there, you know, you just need to know the skills to learn how to learn. And, uh, uh, that only comes with, um, you know, building up those basic skills. And uh, that's not what the system's doing now. I, I think that's really insightful. And I actually have a few questions about that. I mean, the first one, I guess, is why is China trying to build up a vocational system that's based off of Germany's vocational school system, yet so drastically different? Why don't they just copy Germany's system to China? What's the rationale behind that? So <laughs> uh, it's probably... So, so I always, you know, come back after I criticize that they haven't, that they aren't teaching enough math, science, and computers. Then I'll take a step back <laughs> and answer the question you just asked. And and it might be because most of the students that go into that program, it's not that they don't teach that. It's that if they taught it, they can't learn. They didn't do, that they aren't able to learn math and science and computers at that sort of high school level. And, you know, that's because if you go give, you know, and, and so it's, I'd say it's 80 to 90% of the students in vocational high school are rural, um, uh, are, are students with rural huko or rural residencies. Um, half of the kids from rural China are growing up with levels of development that by the time they get to high school level, they, they just can't learn because they're 
levels of cognition language are, are, are basically too low. It's, you know, when they were babies, they, you know, they, they weren't given the skills that they needed to, to you know, go through life. Um, they make perfectly good factory workers. They make perfectly good construction workers. But, you know, all the factory workers are being replaced by automation now and construction after a point goes down, right? You, you, uh, you know, China, uh, you know, will need 100 million or 150 million low skilled workers, you know, in 2035, if they become high income, they don't need 600 million. They need those 400 million to be able to go into, you know, the skilled jobs that, you know, come in high income economies. I see. So you think these issues lie in that by the time high school comes around, it's already too late to teach these fundamental skills, math, science, computer coding skills. And you think that the Chinese government should focus more on early childhood education. So I am, along with our audience, I'm sure will be very curious. Why doesn't the government focus more on this area? And how do you think the government should come up with a policy to address this issue? Right, right, right. I mean, and so, and again, I want to be fair because Basically, the, the problem is, is it wasn't a problem until recently, right? When you go from low income to middle income, what do you need? You need, you mobilize workers, create markets, overcome inefficiencies, and you get some productivity. Okay. All those things contribute to growth. And so taking these low skilled labor from the farm and putting them into the factory where they sit there and they, you know, they stitch up clothes or, you know, um, uh, you know, solder wires together. Um, all that contributed to China's phenomenal, you know, 30 to 40 year growth period. Um, but, you know, China's upper middle income now and they're trying to push the high income. And when you get the high income, those jobs aren't there anymore, right? They, I mean, no country has automated as fast as China has over the past um, uh, ten or fifteen years, and of course it's because it, it, it's because labor prices were going up and they they're becoming a high income economy and they uh, and and so the labor force needs to then uh, you know transform itself from behind uh, you know a, a sewing machine to working in an accounting firm. And if, if you don't have those skills, um, you know, a huge part of your economy, you know, basically is unemployed or underemployed. And um, you begin to turn from looking like Mexico in the 60s and 70s, which was one of the fastest countries growing in the world to Mexico today. Um, you know, uh, Brazil was one of the most peaceful countries in the world in, this, in the 50s and 60s, and now it's one of the most violent countries in the world. Um, it's because those countries hadn't educated their labor force, you know, up to them. And it all starts at zero to three, like I, I told you before. So how have countries like the United States or Germany made this transition successfully from, you know, a more industrial type economy, you know, manufacturing parts, building phones to people sitting in an accounting firm or a consulting firm or an engineering firm? How has the U.S. made this transition or Germany? And what can China learn from, from these countries? Well, the, the problem is, is that China uh, is, I mean, think of Germany's growth. Think of China's growth, right? I mean, I mean I'm sorry. Let me back up. Think of the United States growth, okay? 
um, we've grown at 2% a year for 100 years in a row. Okay. We gradually went from middle income to high income. And during that whole period is the school system gradually, you know, shifted, you know, to making sure everyone went to high school and then, you know, to having community colleges and, you know, and, and today, you know, 80% of our kids start college, uh, you know, only about 50% finish, but then we have community colleges. They've all basically, you know, 80% of our, of our labor force, you know, has the basic skills to work in a high income economy. It took, it took a hundred years to do that. China in, you know, 20 or 30 years went from poor to upper middle income. And, and, and that's the problem is that, so, so we work with rural, we work with real children, right? Um, with moms that have just had their babies. And then we try to train the parents how to, to raise a college kid. So, so if you go to two, we have a study, in fact, we've published it. You go to 2000 moms in rural China and you ask them, what's their educational aspiration for their baby? They will tell you, I want my baby to go to college. Only now, remember, this is 95% of rural, probably only 15% of rural kids ever go to college. Um, uh, only 30% of China goes to college, right? But 95% of moms today want their kid to go to college, okay? By the time that kid gets to junior high, they're dropping out of school or they're not able to learn anymore. That's because even though their aspiration is they want their kid to go to college is they're raising their baby like they raised them for the past 5,000 years. They're raising a farm. Their, their objective is don't let my baby die, keep my baby healthy and make them strong. Hey, that sounds like a good farmer to me, right? But they want them to go to college. And that there's absolutely almost no idea that you should uh, technical word psychostimulate your kid. You should you should interact with your kid. You should read to them and tell stories. You, you ask a rural mother, um, "Do you read to your baby?" And you know what they say? They go, <coughs> "Excuse me, uh, I didn't hear you. I thought you asked me, do I read to my baby?" And they say, "Of course I don't read to my baby. It's my baby's one year old, right?" Okay, and then we we get we run these parenting training programs and after a month they go are you reading to your baby and they go yeah yes yes i'm reading to my baby my mother-in-law is scolding me that i'm wasting my time uh i'm getting a little embarrassed why do i sit in a room with my baby and read to them okay now come back six months later and you say are you reading to your baby this is after six months of training right they come back and say yes and they go how much four hours a day. <laughs> okay. They go, and I have, I have the smartest baby in the whole village. And, and then they say, thank you. Thank you for telling me this. And, you know, cause the mothers in rural China have all been to junior high. They all read. Um, and, but they just don't, they've never been taught this and you teach them that and boom, they get it after several months. And, um, uh, you know, other, almost every other middle income country in the world, Brazil, Mexico, South Africa, all have zero to three training programs, government supported, because they've been middle income for 60 years, right? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, China just hit it for the first time. And, you know, I think that that's, that's the problem. Um, 
I think it's slowly being recognized by the government, but I think it's like, I, I think I, I often say it's the biggest problem China has dot, 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 that no one knows about. Um, it's every country has a lot of problems, <laughs> but this is the one that people just don't realize. And, um, so, uh, I, you know, I think that there's where in lies the challenge, uh, um, you know, the community, because every kid now that's five years old, and if you haven't developed well, um, they're going to be, they're going to be like that for the rest of their lives. So it's time to start now. I think that makes a lot of sense. And actually bring to that point, I remember when I was like very, very young, I have a lot of memories of my mom actually reading to me. Um, a lot of books. She read to me a lot, a lot, like every night before I went to sleep, um, which is why it probably turned out so well. Kidding. <laughs> you got to thank your mom. Go home and thank your mom tonight. Exactly. I will later after the podcast. We'll give her a call and say, "Mom, thank you so much for for reading to me." Hmm. But but it seems like a very big issue that that this is the biggest problem in China that no one realizes. Now, how do you make the government and these moms realize that this is indeed a very big issue? What's the framework that you guys use or the uh, the main argument points? You know, in in 2019 was the first time that they actually added development of rural children to the national policy framework for the Ministry of Health, uh, the Wei Jianwei. Um, and then in 2022, they added a paragraph that said, if we don't get zero to zero to three kids right, it's going to affect our future development. That's right in the policy. Uh, and and then in 2023, just about three months ago, they've now launched their initial pilot project on zero to three. And it's 30 provinces, 191 counties. Um, they they still don't know exactly what they're going to do yet, but they know that this is 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 a big issue. Um, so, the you know it's uh, what you know we're part of an effort. There's there's lots of people working on it, but. Uh, um, what our team has done, um, you can sort of see our my big groups of, <laughs> you can see, the podcast can't see, is uh, we work with rural um, universities. So Sichuan University or Henan University or Ningxia University. Um, there were my former students, my former, you know, colleagues uh, who have done visiting uh uh, visiting um, fellow positions here, uh, we now work together with them. Is we've run we run great big randomized trials, um, and we started the first one back in 2013, and we got uh, about a thousand babies with their moms, a thousand moms and thousand grandmas. If the baby and they were all six months to, to 24 months, and we. We measured their level of cognition and language and social emotional skills. And then we randomized them into two groups. Um, 500 of them went to the parental training group and 500 of them were our control group. And for the next, the, the next six months, we taught the parents in the, in the parental training group how to raise their baby. And there's a curriculum. They get toys, a bag of two toys every week and, um, and a book. And the trainer trains them how to stimulate their babies with these toys. The next week they come with two more toys. They take the two old toys back. And um, uh, the curriculum is called Reach Up and Learn. It's an international curriculum that we sort of adapted to China. And sure enough, after six months, when we went back and measured development, the development of those 500 babies in the treatment group 
was, you know, substantially higher than the control group. Okay, this was in 2014. We then went back and found them in 2018. They were in preschool and the executive function of the kids we did was higher. The parents were spending more money on their kids. They were sending them to better preschools um, and uh, that, that they had more books and more, uh, more toys at home. We just went back and they were 10 years old now. These kids are, you know, t- uh, t- uh, uh, t- 10 years old and their math scores are higher. Um, and, uh, you know, that it's all because of one thing they remember, they, the, these groups of 500 were like two identical twins. And now the only thing difference that they got was, you know, at, at six, when they were six to 24 months old, they got six months of parental training and it's changed their lives. Um, and so, but, and we've done it again and again, we've done five or six times. Other groups have done this slowly it's worked its way up to the top of the ministries and um you know they they finally say hey you know and that's the problem with i mean it's not a problem the the issue is the ministry of health is in charge of these three or the three babies they've traditionally they do health sanitation and and nutrition and psychostimulation isn't part and they're too busy to do this so you know, these countries that give this psychostimulation training to the parents, you have to set up a brand new apparatus, a, a brand new ministry, be, be it as may, to do it because it's much more time intensive. You know, it's once a week training for a year. Um, and so, so I know that's probably a little more, but, but I think it's, it's very important. And, but the nice thing about China, the, the, the thing you have to worry about China is, as the information does work its way up into the ministerial level and above, they finally figure out that they need to do it. And, you know, they'll do something. Now, again, they're now trying to figure out what to do, but I'm very calm, you know, within soon, within one, two, three years, right? Uh, For 5,000 years, they haven't done this, but in the next three or four years, I think they'll have launched a very successful uh, zero to three program. Now that the top level officials at the Ministry of Health and within the government, they realize that zero to three education is very important. How do you think that will trickle down to the different provinces? And what do you think this will look like in action? So I just came back from China for the first time in three and a half years and met with this new group that's charged with rolling out the pilot and then meet with, there's an expert group that's set up that's going to be evaluating them. And when we, we met with them and so a couple things, you know, they're very, very, very sharp scholars and they know a lot that's going around the world. But they also, the first thing they asked me is, can you set up a workshop uh, and bring in the best people from around the world that are doing this in other countries? And we'd like to find out what they're doing and what works and what doesn't. So that's that's number one, um, you know, that that that, you know, that's that's very, very good. Um, the, the other thing that they're realizing you probably know, I don't know if you've covered on your podcast in demography is the number of children are falling very rapidly in China, right? Fertility is down. Um, uh, and, you know, it's a big issue, right? Um, well, guess what? Over the last 20 years, last 15 years, they've really expanded preschool, right? So preschools are almost every rural town has a public preschool. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is, is the number of kids in those preschools are falling. Uh Uh-oh. So now there's too much classroom space 
and the teachers aren't busy. All the teachers aren't busy. Aha, why don't we put this zero to three program in the preschools? There's empty space and there's teachers. Now they've been, they've been schooled in three to six, but you know, they know how to work with parents and they know how to work with kids. So instead of teaching the three-year-olds, why don't they teach the parents how to teach their two-year-olds? And so that's, we're, we're going to be rolling out a new project in, um, in a, in a county in, in central China, where we're going to be seeing, can we use these preschools as a basis for expanding? And I think, and I know that the ministry of health is very interested in this idea. Um, and you know, they, believe me, it wasn't my idea. It was their idea. <laughs> they said, what about using these preschools? And, and at first I said, well, those teachers teach three-year-olds. And then I thought, maybe it's a great idea. And so that's what we're going to be trying, uh, this next year. I think that's, that's a really good idea too. I mean, a teacher who knows how to teach three-year-olds probably can teach, you know, younger. They're, they're smart. They've been to community college, right? Oftentimes, and, um, you know, they're smart young people and they need a job, <laughs> right? So they'll be motivated to do this. Now, is there a reason why preschool attendance levels have dropped within the past, you know, decade or so? Is it because of the declining birth rates or are there other reasons associated with that? No, 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 no. Um, so uh, as late as 2000 and I, I forget, 2010 or 11, we did a survey of rural areas and let me tell you, um, 20% of rural families sent their kids to preschool. In, they launched this new rural kids in preschool program and it shows you what the Chinese government can do. They established new preschools. They add, they said, send your kid to preschool. It's important for their development. And guess what? By 2020, 2019, right before COVID, almost 90% of, of rural kids were in preschool. I mean, from 20% to 90%. Uh, and they built all these preschools. Now, the declining enrollment in preschools is, is, is purely demographic. It's just fertility. You know, uh, fertility has just fallen dramatically, right? And, um, uh, you know, and it has, it has to do with the fact that, you know, uh, rural people don't need, you know, don't need three kids, right, to, to, to farm the farm. They don't need a son. <laughs> Families with two girls are very, very happy with two girls now. And, uh, um, you know, this, um, uh, you know, because they don't think their kids are going to be farming in the future. And so, um, you know, I think that, so you don't need that many kids. So kids, you know, have just, it's just fallen dramatically. This episode explores China's sweeping education reform aimed at improving quality, equality, innovation, and economic alignment. Key focus areas include strengthening rural education, developing vocational training that builds cognitive skills for adaptability, and new efforts to optimize early childhood learning through parental training programs. Despite the challenges, China is committed to transforming its educational system from the ground up. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this enlightening conversation with Professor Scott Rosell. On our next episode, stay tuned for more thought-provoking discussions on education's correlation with the aging population and its effect on employment. Remember to like, subscribe, and share to support our mission of spreading knowledge and insights from leading experts. Until next time.